Well, if you would, turn to Exodus 13, and you need a set of notes. Um, my son and I were throwing a football around Sunday afternoon, and I missed it. <laughs> it hit my glasses. And so I have trifocals, and they need to be adjusted. So you kind of look like this, and I don't know where you are. And so if I stumble over the text, it's, I, I'm having trouble seeing. So just forgive me. Good old, old age is creeping in. Well, I hope your kids, I don't know, maybe not big on trick-or-treating, but all I can say is I can't believe all the candy that uh, these kids come home with. It's a dentist dream. I think they sponsor this. Uh, I thought you'd love some of the candy that the kids brought home last night. I, f I found very intriguing. Here's one, Tushy Roll. Uh, it just really cracked me up. I just thought, oh, that's interesting. Something I hadn't seen before. Here's another one, Tooth Glue. <laughs> Chocolate-covered molar adhesive. <laughs> Something's got to hold it together. Sugar mess bubble gum, guaranteed to put on weight. <laughs> I know, this has nothing to do with Exodus. And one more wedgie, the, the candy that sneaks up on you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh. oh, dearest. Let's get to the text. Exodus chapter 13. Let's get that disturbing slide off. Exodus 13. What we've been doing, if you've just joined us, we're walking through the life of Moses, and we will continue, by the way, that journey in, starting in January, about mid-January, and, and next week we'll have the cards with the dates all laid out for you for our, our study in the, the winter or spring or whatever you want to call it. Uh, as we continue this, uh, we'll move through the uh, Song of Moses, uh, that is through the ex through the parting of the Red Sea uh, these next couple weeks, and then we'll resume uh, the wanderings is what we're going to do up through Moses' death uh, later in the book. But 13.1, we, we've come out of the ten plagues, and there's a kind of a discourse that the Lord has on exactly how the Israelites are going to relate to him as they journey to the promised land. In 13.1, the Lord spoke to Moses Sanctify me every firstborn male, whatever opens, whatever opens every womb among the Israelites, whether human or animal, is mine. So this is all inclusive, <laughs> not just humans, but I also get every animal, clean and unclean. And that's going to be very significant in the text. Human beings, are we clean or unclean before God? Unclean. In fact, we're going to be placed with the donkeys. That's not the Democrats, all right, in the text. And we'll see that. And Moses said to the people, remember, that is a loaded term. It is loaded in the text. And, and we're going to highlight that as we go along. This day in which you came out from Egypt, from the place where you were enslaved, for the Lord brought you out. That phrase will be used six times in this chapter alone. Six times. It's the same word used for the exodus later. When Stephen talks about the exodus, it's not the Greek term. Well, later, I realize we're dealing with Hebrew here. But later in the Greek, he doesn't use exodus. He uses hatsa to bring out. And that's what we see here. By the way, uh, many thanks to those who attended the Dan Wallace event. Wasn't that spectacular? I told you, you wouldn't be disappointed. Uh, uh, you realize there's no human being on earth right now, liberal or conservative, who's handled uh, the number of Greek manuscripts, Greek copies of the New Testament than Dan Wallace. I mean, it's just uh, took him back. 
58, 60 is the, the number, and counting. He told, we were talking, and he said um, afterwards, and they're in various locations cataloging Greek New Testament manuscripts if you weren't able to attend. And uh, he said uh, right now he has uh, some inside information of a library. He said, I don't want you telling people where right now. But he said, we know there's over 200 copies of the New Testament in Greek that have never been cataloged. And he said, they're going to give us permission to come in. And uh, so some of the places he's been, but he was sharing, he said, I said, what's one of the most exciting things you've had with the Greek manuscripts? He said, the most exciting was spending a whole week looking at one manuscript, Vaticanus in the Vatican. <laughs> I said, good for you. I, that's just wonderful. Uh, I've done a few hours and that'll drive you nuts. So I uh, just, great. But uh, what a blessing to have him here. And he said, uh, it was such an honor to be a part of what God is doing through Iron to Iron. So thank you for attending. And if you missed it, well, maybe Lord willing, down the road we can have him come back. But uh, it was spectacular. Anyways, back to the text. So you will be brought out of this with a mighty hand. Interesting, he'll use that phrase four times in this text. All right, so uh, this remembering, remember that I brought you out and I did it with a mighty hand. You didn't do this yourself. In fact, you were slaves. And no leavened bread may be eaten on this day in the month of Abib. That's really Nisan later. Uh, that's March, April. You're going out. <clears throat> when the Lord brings you to the land of Canaanite, the Hittites, the Amorite, the Parasites, and on it goes, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, then you will keep the service in this month. For seven days you will eat unleavened bread. And the seventh day there will be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread must be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread will be seen by you, nor will be eaten. And this is one of the three pilgrimages to, to Israel uh, in, the, in Jerusalem in the first century was for unleavened bread. All right, during this time frame, the Passover. And you are to tell your son, now watch this, and your daughter, your, ch your children, all right? Uh, fathers, step up to the plate, men. Uh, Tony Evans, I love Tony Evans, and he has a lot to say to the African-American father. Step up to the plate. It's going to be said of Caucasians as well, or Asian, or whatever ethnicity is. Step up to the plate. We're responsible for leading spiritually. Tell your children, on this day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it'll be a sign for you on your hand and a memorial between your eyes so that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a mighty hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Sound familiar? Don't miss this. So you must keep the ordinances appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites, as he swore to you, to your fathers, and gives it to you, then you must give over the Lord everything that opens the womb. That, again, is the firstborn. Every firstling of beasts that have it, that makes will be to the Lord. Every firstling of a donkey, watch this, so the first group is clean. Donkey is unclean. You must redeem with a lamb. If you don't have a lamb, then you break its neck. You kill it. And watch. It says, every firstborn of your sons must you redeem. That is the first time that term occurs in the Bible. Redeem. And it is significant. We'll get to that in a minute as well. When your son asks you in, in time to come, what is this? You must say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us from Egypt, from the land of bondage. When Pharaoh suddenly refused to release us 
the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of people, even of the firstborn of animals. That is why I will sacrifice to the Lord every male that opens the womb, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. There it is again. And it will be a sign on your hand and on the frontlets between your eyes. For with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. We'll read the latter verses here in a minute. In your notes, there in that opening paragraph, what the Lord is doing is, doing is establishing some festivals. Uh, our one Israeli guide, he goes, as we say in Israel, they tried to kill us. We won. Let's go eat. Uh, that, that's the line. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's go eat. Uh, and, and eating festivals are very important to the Jewish people. And why? God's established it. In your notes, I, I, I mentioned this in uh, one art, uh, article in a dictionary. It says, the Feast of Israel were the ritual expression of its life as a community, that's key, of God's people through the feast, Yahweh's faithfulness in the past becomes the ritual basis for the hope they held for the future. That's why we're going to see here, you tell your children and your children's children, uh, this is a memorial. We have that in the church as well. What's it called? Communion, right? Communion. It's a memorial. <laughs> um, that's why I love it when I see kids in the auditorium. They need to see this. This is, we're, we're doing something here, you know. <laughs> As my son once said, I'm hungry. Can I have some? I said, no, that's not what it's for. Um, <laughs> nice kid. Be quiet. Um, the firstborn there in your notes is I mentioned under letter B. To consecrate the firstborn is really to consecrate the family. Uh, as you see there in your notes, the firstborn in this society was seen as the center and the future of the family. Uh, my mom had three siblings, two sisters and a son, or brother, excuse me. The brother was the youngest, and it was an, kind of an old school mentality, but my grandparents left him the farm, the estate, because he was the firstborn son, even though he was the fourth among the kids. Uh, so this idea, and, and this culture even more so, and so as I mentioned in your notes, by the Lord requiring the firstborn, what, he's, what he in essence is saying is the Lord it has exclusive claims on the entire nation of Israel. You were mine. That's the problem with Pharaoh. By saying, kill the firstborn, he's trying to take over the, the nation, isn't he? Controlling them. And God's, no, 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 no. In fact, I'm going to make that an object lesson. Um, and the first... Th institution that he mentions here is the issue of Passover. And as I mentioned there in your notes, this is a spring festival, March, April. It commemorates the events of the departure out of Egypt. Have you participated in a Passover meal? Anyone in the room? A few of you? So you know exactly. Uh, hopefully it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> some of them are very long. It depends on the Passover uh, observance that you participate in. In your notes, it's mentioned the Passover is all about freedom through sacrifice. And as such is the fundamental Old Testament type on which Christian freedom of, in Christ, our Paschal Lamb, is built. It's a beautiful picture, really, of Jesus. And that's why a lot of Messianic Jews will host Passover 
meals because they then can incorporate the gospel very clear because it's a focus on freedom. The mention of remembrance, as I stated, is very significant. I mentioned this as well in your notes. Um, it, it, it's already been used in Exodus. It's because the Lord says already a couple times in Exodus, I remember my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's used of the Lord remembering. It's also used of people. And from a human perspective, as you see there in your notes, it, it's the basis for worship. If I remember what God has done, I, can, I will worship, I will serve, and I will appreciate. And as we said, communion, that's, that's part of why we do it, isn't it? Uh, to, to, to recall what the Lord has done for us. Questions on the Passover? Jamie, did you have a question? Okay. All right. Feel free in a minute. Uh, Feast of the Unleavened Bread is, is a greater, it's, it's also part of this, but uh, much larger that it's a seven-day event. It symbolizes again, as you expect, this hasty departure out of Egypt. The God, God is saying, listen, don't forget what I've done for you. Sadly, that's exactly what happens, isn't it, with the Israelites? Uh, and the Lord knew that. We'll talk about that more as we journey through this book. But uh, it's a seven-day event, as we stated, and it will begin and it ends with offerings, sacrifices. And as you see there, it's um, only unleavened bread. Is this the question you had, Jamie, on unleavened bread, or is it down the road? Okay, just you just holler it out, and uh, we'll have uh, Dr. Bruce answer it for you. So, by the way, Bruce, good to have you back. So... Yes. Uh, no, more t no more TIAs, okay? All right. That's good. All right. We're done. <clears throat> yes. I, I guess what I meant there is, is you're, you're setting this apart. This is designated, so maybe that's not the best term to use. This individual is set aside for the things of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> it's used of uh, Hannah. By the way, it's the same term in, in um, it was, so it's not just for priestly families, it was expected for all families, and that's why Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus. Uh, they're, they're setting him apart, they're setting him aside for the Lord. <clears throat> but by doing that, it's symbolic that everything now that comes out of the womb is yours. Everything we are dedicating. So <clears throat> baby dedications uh, was for the firstborn, <laughs> for sure. Whether it was done, uh, you know, is that that's what, how I was using the term. But you, no, no, that's not what I, no. Um, I meant simply to, to set apart. Uh, it did not mean for salvation. Salvation is always by faith, old and new testament. Good. Thank you for that clarification there. Yeah, I don't want to leave you with that thought. Uh, Orthodox Jews take the text to refer that, you know, uh, the phylacteries, right? You put one on the forehead and one you wrap around your arm. And that's to recall uh, the, the scripture is literally on your, between the eyes and literally on the hand, right? I don't think that's a literal interpretation is, is being seen here. Uh, whether you take it literal or non-literal, the point is there's to be a constant reminder that you do these things. Phylacteries did not come until later in the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
the Qumran community, they found some phylacteries, which is interesting. You can go to the Israel Museum and at the Shrine of the Book, you can see one of those that was found. Uh, <clears throat> but um, regardless, I don't think you can take it uh, all the way back. But uh, for instance, later in the, New in the Old Testament, God says, write this, I'm going to write this on your heart. So it, it's not uh, a literal but simply, it needs to be on the forefront. You're, you're constantly thinking about this. Just as you see your hand, you should be thinking of God's promises and how God has delivered you. A constant reminder that this is what God has done. Well, he, as we stated, it's not just for the clean animal that's to be set aside to the things of the Lord, also the unclean animal. And I, I find it rather humorous that he uses a donkey or a jackass, uh, as you see in the text. Uh, you know, you have to laugh, you know, the Balaam's ass being able to speak uh, truth. Uh, scripture has a bit of humor, I think, and this is one of those cases you can disagree, but uh, it, the unclean animal has to have someone redeem it. That is a lamb right? A, a clean animal has to redeem the unclean animal. It's intriguing that he sets this and more intriguing that where does he place human beings? Right after the donkeys. Because implication is, as we just stated, we are unclean. We need something to redeem us. Right? And again, redemption is used in a variety of ways in the Old and New Testament. So we're not talking salvation. Um, but it's, it's atoning for the sin. Riken in his commentary, and it's stated there in your notes, said God places the people in the same categories as donkeys. This showed them that they were sinners in need of salvation. In a word, they needed to be redeemed. Otherwise, they would perish as the donkey did if they were unredeemed. Later in Numbers, it's five shekels. For a human being to be redeemed or for this sacrifice. And as one scholar states, and it spills over into the second page, the bottom line is that for redemption to take place, something must give up a life or somebody must pay a price to redeem the firstling. But God has stated it, the firstborn must be mine. <laughs> Either it dies or someone dies in its place. Now you see where this is headed, don't you? Right? Who is our Passover lamb? Jesus, right? Blood had to be shed. And our lamb must be spotless, just like it was for the donkey that needed its redemption. And in your notes... <clears throat> um, we, we talk about the word redeem, and again, it's the first time in chapter 13, the first time in the Bible you see this term, and you're going to see it all over the place as you journey through the text. But as we're saying, a sacrifice is required. And by the way, and I mentioned this in your notes, it shows God's grace, doesn't it? Uh, he could say, just kill the donkey. But he says, no, let's make provision for the donkey. The donkey's a valuable animal, right? Uh, where is uh, Pete? We, we prayed for a goat for Liberia, shipping a goat over to Liberia. I know it's a long story, uh, but I'm not kidding you. Uh, yes, Pete can talk all about the goat. But <clears throat> a donkey's a valuable instrument in this society. And then finally, 
in looking at the term, the Hebrew term for redeem, Hubbard makes this statement, by combining ritual slaughter with redemption, Israel recalls the contrasting fates of the firstborn in Egypt and testifies, watch this, to Yahweh's power in redeeming his own firstborn, that is Israel. And again, eventually Christ don't miss that. It, um, Bruce Walkie is a very prominent Old Testament scholar. Where's Keith? Keith would know the name Bruce Walkie, don't you? Uh, I can tell you stories about him teaching Hebrew. But um, one day uh, uh, he spoke at a conference and an individual came up and said, how is your teaching different than a Jewish rabbi? And Walkie tells the story. He said, it was like a ton of bricks came crashing down on my head. And I realized... I'm missing the boat because he could exegete and I mean he could work the Hebrew text and after that he became one of the most Christ-centered Old Testament scholars that exist today and he said Christ is all over the pages that's what distinguishes us from a Jewish rabbi and, and you see that here I mean this Christ is screaming out of this text isn't it this is our lamb this is our sacrifice this is the one who redeems us and what a privilege, what a blessing. Childs, in his commentary on Exodus, states, the effect of understanding, this is in your notes, the Old Testament Passover traditions in light of the New Testament is to affirm the hope of Israel in so far as it foreshadowed God's true redemption. God's redemption is not simply a political liberation from an Egyptian tyrant, but it involves the struggle with sin and evil. And the transformation of life. That's what we kept saying, right? This is a cosmic battle. We've said this a couple times between God and Pharaoh. Who is in charge of Israel? Who does Israel belong to? Not God's, the God's representation on earth, i.e. Pharaoh, but God himself, right? I am. That's the whole point of this. Yes. Yes, and, and blood is required. Uh, it's the, that is the the atonement. That is, it's what's needed. Uh, to, someone want to comment on that? I'm not, yes. The lifeblood. This it goes back to chapter twelve, um, because as you remember, the angel of death passed over on that tenth plague, and if there was no blood from the lamb above the doorpost, the firstborn of that household was going to die. So the Lord requires uh, sacrifice to be made, atonement to be made. Yeah. I think it just shows the severity of Oh, well, I think for, for the Old Testament, the Passover, blood was required. Chapter 12 of, of Exodus is clear. For the New Testament, first, we're going to look at some text later, but First Peter, for instance, it's clear the blood of Christ was necessary for our atonement. Without the blood of Christ, uh, without the shedding of sin or blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It is required. We needed, because we are unclean like the donkey, someone is going to have to pay that redemption price. Right? Anyone want to comment further on that? Which, which we're going to get to with application is amazing. Right? The reason you could sit here and have a relationship with God is because someone's blood had to be shed. And it couldn't be just anybody. It had to be the spotless lamb. If Christ did not come, we would not have redemption, I would argue.
Jamie. And it's a crazy, I mean, I'll be careful how I say this, but I think of Paul, of course, he's quoting the Old Testament in Romans 11, who has known the mind of the Lord? You know, to think this is what he required, but it, it's an, it is a clear, you think about this, we don't have all the sacrifices, but imagine living in the Old Testament era, what a very visual display of what sin cost as you slit the throat of a lamb, right? It, uh, Google the Samaritans and you'll see they still do the Day of Atonement and so forth. And look at the ritual sacrifices. It's, it's bloody. It's nasty. Um, it's, and, and circumcision is not a clean job either, <laughs> is it? Just ask Zipporah. We looked at that text. But again, it, it, it's indicating that you're, you belong to God. And it's a constant daily reminder that you have a covenant relationship with God Almighty. So yeah, good, good question. Well, let's go back to the text. And you can see there um, the whole, the reason that we have the Consecration of the firstborn, we have the unleavened bread, etc. It's a constant reminder. We see this twice in this text. We saw that earlier in verse 8. We see it in verse 14 that the generations that follow us will be reminded of this. They are not to forget it. Right? This, this purpose of salvation. Um, Again, I mentioned this before. This is why I love having children during a communion service. So they can observe what is going on and why we do what we do. Um, I love Thanksgiving because it's another time when we sit around as, a, as an extended family around this big old table with the, too much food. <laughs> and we go around and each person, we start with the youngest, is to share what has God, how has God blessed you this last year? And we just move around. And what are you thankful for? You move around. It, 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 those times of remembrance are so vital. And I encourage you as, as leaders in the home, if, if you, you have a family, um, establish this now. What are some markers as a family that you can say, yes, here are the stones of remembrance, right? These are the events in our life. This is when uh, grandpa had cancer. And God's restored him. And so this date, every year, we, we just thank the Lord for what he's done. Put those in the ground. Uh, start some traditions. Because uh, it draws our attention. This is the God we serve. And we are indebted to him. Well, I'm starting to preach. So we'll go on. I want you to see something interesting. It's not on the screen, but it's in your notes. You look at the layout of verses 5 through 10 with verses 11 through 16. And there are some very interesting parallels that are highlighted in the text. Between the unleavened bread and the offering of the firstborn. If you notice already, the, the issue of firstborn bookends this entire section. And so when you talk about the Feast of the Unleavened Bread... It's distinct, and yet it's, it's interwoven with the firstborn. And Hamilton draws this out in his commentary. The phrase, when the Lord brings you into Canaan, is repeated twice. In the first section and the second. 
The mention of the land that was promised by God is repeated. A religious observance upon reaching the land is stated. The son asks his father a question. That's the beginning of both of these sections. And both sections speak of dedicating the firstborn and the eating of unleavened bread as external reminders. Isn't that interesting? It's all interwoven. In fact, I would challenge you, if you look at all of the festivals of Israel, you'll see very much the same thing. That's why I read to you the quote at the very beginning. The festivals were to draw the Israelites' attention to God Almighty. We serve him. We do not serve Baal. We don't serve any of the others. We serve God Almighty. That's who we serve. Um, another interesting study is to look at the Jewish festivals and compare them to Near Eastern cultures and their festivals of that time frame. They're vastly different. The Jewish festivals are born out of, of um, remorse and they're born out of gratitude. And it's a different approach. They're not appeasing a God. <laughs> they already realize that they, they are indebted to him already. Yes, Paul. <clears throat> well, that's a, the, the, the word picture the Lord is using isn't equating yeast with sin. Um, the reason they don't use yeast here in this festival was to show the hasty departure. They didn't have time to raise bread. You make it quick and, and out. So um, yeast was the luxury, allowing the bread to rise and make it wonderful. They didn't have this opportunity here. And so that's why it's forbidden in this festival. Because... Well, I think he's just, he's just using, he often used daily uh, images to bring home a concrete message or a, a difficult theological truth. And in that case, he's just simply stating, um, I don't think he's making yeast equated with sin. It's just a word picture to show how the, their teachings, that is the religious rulers, can easily infiltrate and corrupt the whole lot. So <clears throat> you have to be careful with parables or word pictures and making it walk on all fours. Uh, just a word. I think the next study we do, we should look at a gospel again. Uh, we started our men's Bible study doing that. So maybe in the fall, I've thought about looking at John's gospel uh, or Luke. We'll see. <clears throat> By the way, if you have any suggestions, let me know uh, if, if a word, if a Bible study. We'll, we'll look at it. Not Revelation. No, we, we can look at Revelation. That'd be an interesting study, wouldn't it? I, I think BSF is doing Revelation right now, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, so you guys unlocked all secrets for us. So that's great. Well, <clears throat> the text moves, and I want you to look at this. We should have you teach. I oh, love it. Uh, when Pharaoh released the people, God did not lead them on the way to the land. This is verse 17 of the chapter of the Philistines, although that was nearby. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they experience war and return to Egypt. <laughs> they do. Later in Numbers, they want to go back to the very country that was enslaving them. It's amazing how soon they forget. And so God led the people around on the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And the Israelites went up from the land of Egypt and they prepared for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph. Wow. This is great. This gets exciting. With him. For Joseph had made the Israelites solemnly swear, God will surely visit you and will carry my bones up from this place with you. Later, where do they bury Joseph's bones? Do you remember? 
I'll give you a candy bar. In Shechem. He's buried in Shechem. So they, which is uh, not the most uh, popular tourist spot in Israel today. <laughs> it's in Palestinian territory. It's, it's a very problematic area to visit. But anyway, so they journeyed from Sokoth and camped to Etham on the edge of the desert. I, I think that's a loaded phrase. We'll get to it in a minute. Now the Lord was going before them. Wow. The day of pillar of cloud to lead them the way and night and a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could go day or night. He did not take away from before the people the pillar of cloud by the day nor the pillar of fire by night. Well, um, I am not an expert on uh, geography of the Old Testament, the Exodus, and I know there's huge debate, and a couple of you are smiling because you know what I'm talking about, uh, <clears throat> and I wish my colleague was here. He could wax eloquent on all of this. Um, probably, we know this. This is the way of the Philistines, all right? It's called the Coastal Highway later. It's, it would have been the most logical route for the Israelites to take. And if I was Pharaoh, that's exactly where I'd expect them to go. Which is really interesting. <clears throat> I don't know what they thought if they went that way. Because we know there's Egyptian fortresses, outposts all along this way. They've been walking in an ambush. It'd be crazy. And then they'd have to deal with the Philistines. But anyway. So that's, that's the most logical. And the Lord says, no, no, you're not going to go that way. Because you're going to hit adversity. And if you did, you, you, you'd turn around and want to go back. So I'm taking you another way. <laughs> you think, well, I think the, the sea was adversity as well. But oh well, who's counting? Right? We'll get there. Um, <clears throat> probably somewhere in this vicinity, either it's the Red Sea today, uh, though the term in the Hebrew there is reed. Uh, some have argued it's the marshlands up further north. Uh, often that's because they want to poo-poo the idea that they went through large body of water. Or it could be the Bitter Lakes. Uh, which is just north of that as well. So somewhere in this vicinity, uh, we, we cross through, and uh, you can look at that. But the issue there, again, in your notes, as I state, the Lord's concern, the Israelites would want to return to Egypt. And that's what he wanted to avoid. The longer route, I think also, and I put this in your notes, but I, I think it afforded the Israelites time to acclimate themselves to this territory hone their military skills, but third, which I should have put in there, is further dependence on the Lord. <laughs> they needed some time with God. And understand this is, this is how it's going to go. But the way the Philistines, again, would have been very easy. That's the direct route. The roads were that way. And that's mentioned there in your notes. Well, we, we take Joseph's bones, and uh, Brueggemann, in his commentary, makes a quote, and, or I pulled a quote from it, and you can see that in your notes. Uh, that's interesting to me, uh, just a reminder. But I love this. Here they are, where do they camp? On the edge of the desert. I've been through this region more than once, and it is not, it's not a, <laughs> it's not Naples, Florida. It's not, there's nothing there. All right, it's, it's barren. It's, it's where the ISIS rebels have been hiding in this whole, you know, Sinai Peninsula. It's rocky, it's barren, it's, it's awful. And I, I can't help, but as they camp and they look over there, they've just left the glories of, of Egypt. Yes, they were in slave quarters, but, you know, 
They, they left the place that was so gorgeous and now they're here and there has to be fear. There has to feel uh, abandoned, uh, desolate. What, what are we doing? And I love that the text says in, a, in verse 21, the Lord was going before them. He's not abandoned them. They may think it. And in fact, he says, I'm going to give you, as you're on the edge of the desert, I'm going to give you two things. A constant reminder. You'll, you'll see it in the daytime. You'll see it at night. I am with you. It blows my mind that after all they've been through and these annual remembrances and, and a constant presence that they still shake their fist at God. But isn't that humanity? Read the book of Revelation. Every time God unleashes more judgment, what do the people do? Repent? No, it says they shake their fist at God. It's one of the saddest commentaries. And then, then you, you wipe everyone out. You start with only those who were saved during the tribulation period, if that's your eschatological view. And Christ comes and reigns on the throne for a thousand years. You have a theocracy. And what happens at the end of a thousand years? They, they rebel again. Humanity does. We're a sorry lot. No wonder we're equated with donkeys, right? I mean, let's face it. Oh, wretched man that we are, God in his grace and his, that presence. And I mentioned this there in your notes. These are manifestations of God's glory. They reassured Israel of the Lord's presence, his protection, his provisions, and his leading do you remember when the, the pillar of fire or cloud are used? Give me an example in the Pentateuch. The, remember, it shields them from the Egyptians. Later, it, it shows that God is present when he is there outside the tabernacle. I mean, it, it's, it's used a variety of ways. One to protect, another to provide, another to show, I'm in charge. This is who you worship. So this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire, and I love this, we haven't gotten to the parting of the Red Sea yet. <laughs> and already God says, I'm here. And this is what I want from you. I want you to remember. And I'm so significant is this to me that every firstborn, whether you're a Bobo or you're Jojo, you're mine. All right? I get it. And only, not Pharaoh, but God Almighty. Because I am. And it's going to require blood. It's so graphic. Well, thanks Hafeditz. Love that. What's that mean? Let's go. Let's look at three things here to walk away with this morning. While grace is free, I, we've said this several times, and our salvation cost us nothing other than a sense of rendering our life. I understand. But you, you didn't have to write a check Right? You don't have to volunteer in the church for two years. No. There's nothing when you turn your life over to the Lord. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, bend your knee today. Because you will one day. And you don't want to bend it at the great white throne. We must remember that our redemption was still costly. It was paid by the very life of his firstborn son. How ironic. The, the Lord said, hey, let me give you the best object lesson. Let me give you my son. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and look at this text. Paul picks up on this to a group of 
individuals that, whew, they got some problems at the church at Corinth. And, and <clears throat> this whole idea, he says, or do you not know, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that your body is the very temple of the Holy Spirit, what is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? I mean, think about it. When you look at the internet, the Holy Spirit's watching with you. When you fill out the tax forms, the Holy Spirit's with you. When you do the business deal, the Holy Spirit's with you. I, I have to chuckle a little bit about Wikipedia and all that it's done with the emails of a certain political party <laughs> individual. I'm thinking, you know what? The Holy Spirit has far better taps on your internet than, and your emails than Hillary Clinton's are being tapped into. How would you fare? If we posted all those in front of the group this morning, how would you fare? Well, there's a word or two I shouldn't have used, coarse gesture. It's going to, the Lord's tapped into him. He sees it all, doesn't he? And it says, for you were bought at a price. Yes, just like the donkey was bought with a price, so are we. Therefore, glorify God with your body. It's a challenge to all of us, isn't it? To remember. When, uh, Christ writes to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And this church that's lost their love and feeling and they're kind of drifting in the faith. He says, remember where Christ has brought you. Remember. Sound familiar? It's a key term. It's, it's vital to our theology that we remember. <laughs> right? And then here's another to walk away with. As followers of Christ, we must remember, the two go hand in hand, don't they? That all we have comes from the gracious hand of the Lord. In actuality, all that we have. One of our board members says on a frequent basis, and I love the line, I'm just a conduit of God's grace. All that I have just goes right through. I have no claims on this. You know, you know this, you've heard it. No hearse is pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> it's left. It's done. All that we have is the Lord's. And then finally, the Lord's leading might not make sense. I suspect, which we'll see, if you ask the Israelites at this point in the, in the juncture, why are you going this way? In fact, Pharaoh thinks they're confused. We'll see that in the next chapter when we get to chapter 14 next week. He goes, oh, they don't know where they're going. <laughs> I got them. Right? And I guarantee you, some of the Israelites were asking the same question. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, Moses, you are crazy. Why do we do this? Now we're really toast. And I don't know about you, but I've asked the same questions at times. Lord, why, why are you doing this? You know? Uh, there was a group of faculty that I taught with at a Christian school. We stood up for truth. We were all eliminated, fired. I was tenured. And you say, Lord, why'd you do that? <laughs> you know, now I'm tainted along with the rest of the faculty that were, were removed. But God knows. He moves ahead. He watches over us, right? And that is the beauty of it. In the midst of the leading, just like the Israelites, he promises to go before us. We may not have a pillar of cloud or a, or a fire uh, before us, but he promises to be with us. Hebrews chapter 13, look at this text. It's, you, many of you know it from 
from memory, but I just want you to see it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews, the author, is showing that Christ is far better than any sacrifice, any system within the Old Testament. And then he says, the, kind of into the conclusion of this epistle or sermon, he says, your conduct, verse 5, must be free from the love of money and you must be content with what you have. For it is said, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. Isn't that a great promise? And when life does not make sense, just as it probably didn't to these Israelites at this moment, you need to rest. I am with you, the Lord says, and I will not forsake you. So much so that he gave us his son, right? Which is so powerful. Questions? Comments? Isn't this a great text? Um... A reminder of God's goodness to his people. And remember that we, yes, like a donkey. <laughs> well, that's a whole other story. Uh, their festivals are longer than uh, a two-week workaholic. And the festivals today are not the same. The Jews have added more uh, in Israel than what's found in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, certainly, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, though, is, and Passover are commemorated. And as I said, if you ever visit Israel, don't go during Passover. <laughs> You'll pay three times the amount and you won't get to see anything. So there you are. Well, that was free. Uh, any other questions or comments? Well, as a group of donkeys, let's go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you that you made provisions for us, an unclean lot. Lord, uh, there is no way we could have made redemption for ourselves, but you did by sending your precious lamb, your firstborn son. Not that he's an offspring, but he is the unique one, the one that uh, has led the way, and we identify with him. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you promise never to leave us nor forsake us. And in the midst of life, and for some in this room, I know they've shared, there's walking through some dark valleys. May they sense your presence in a very unique way today. Unlike an external thing that's out there, this cloud or fire, those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, your very presence with us 24-7. And through Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, we have access to the very holy of holies, into your very presence. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for our son, or your son, our Savior, Jesus. Go before these men today. Bless them. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.